This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. To learn more or to subscribe, visit beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. It's episode 325 of the Craft Beer Brewing Podcast, and this episode was recorded live from Odell Brewing Sloan's Lake as part of our recent brewery workshop, New Brewery Accelerator event in Denver, Colorado. Uh, the three panel guests, Jake Gardner, Director of Brewing Ops for Westbound and Down, Marnie Walquist, Head Brewer for Odell Brewing Sloan's Lake, and Sean Bucken, Owner and Head Brewer for Cerebral Brewing, represent a compelling cross-section of IPA from Denver and the Rocky Mountain region. Of course, all three brewers have JBF medals to their name, and Westbound and Down is fresh off of their 2023 gold in West Coast IPA and a silver in New Zealand IPA, this most recent Great American Beer Festival. Uh, can't wait to share their panelists' thoughts on brewing IPA with you. Um, but first, G&D Chillers, the brewing industry's premier choice for glycol chilling, are proud of the cool partnerships they've built over the past 30 years. G&D Chillers has set the standard on quality, service, and reliability with 24-7 service and support. Want to maximize efficiency in your chiller? G&D's micro-channel condensers are designed for less power draw. Their lighter weight and more compact design uses up to 70% less refrigerant, which means a lower GWP and lower operating costs. Reach out for a quote today at gdchillers.com or call to discuss your next project. Also, this episode is sponsored by BSG North America's exclusive distributor, of Vireman Specialty Malts. For over 140 years, Vireman Specialty Malts has been helping brewers around the world bring authentic German flavor to their brew houses. From caramel malts to the Barca line and heirloom barley varieties, Vireman's malts are sought after and celebrated for their performance and their flavor. Bring a taste of Bavaria to your brew house and explore Vireman's complete portfolio at bsgcraftbrewing.com slash Vireman. And is your brewery making its own ciders, seltzers, and other beverages beyond beer? If you need a central source for fruit flavor, Old Orchard has you covered. Old Orchard supplies flavored craft juice concentrate blends to beverage brands for the production of beer, cider, seltzer, wine, spirits, kombucha, and more. Flavor your lineup and streamline your sourcing by heading to oldorchard.com slash brewer. And now, on to the panel discussion on IPA. On my far left, Marnie, head brewer here for the uh, Odell Sloan's Lake location. Welcome, Marnie. Hello. Second over here, uh, Jake Gardner, head brewer. Is that your director of brewing ops? It's director of brewing ops, exactly, for Westbound and Down. Um, you, you may know him from a recent craft beer and brewing video class on brewing IPA for longevity. If you're an all-access subscriber to Craft Beer and Brewing, if you haven't watched that yet, you absolutely should. Um, and Jake just won a few medals at the you know at uh, the GABF, including a gold medal for West Coast IPA. No small feat. Congratulations, Jake. Woo! Cheers. To that. And then uh, right next to me here is Sean Bucken. Sean is the co-founder of Cerebral Brewing. Uh, one of the most progressive, forward-looking uh, IPA brewers here in Denver, Colorado. 
um, and uh, a thoughtful maker of hazy IPA and other progressive styles. Also a lager maker, and so it's not like we can't just pigeonhole you into that, even though we might we, have you. Can we talk about Cezanne today, too? No, we can't talk about Cezanne. This is about IPA, <laughs> about IPA today. Um, and so we're going to keep this open to questions. Like I said, throw your hand up if you've got a question about IPA brewing. Um, the reason we want to focus this session, this discussion on IPA, is that IPA is such a humongous chunk of the American craft beer market. You know, by by all the Nielsen numbers, by all the aggregate numbers, m- over forty percent of the entire craft beer market. Uh, and when I say craft beer market, it is craft beer market, and forty percent of that market is IPA. And so. As we look at it, what IPA means today is different than what IPA meant in 2015, and what IPA meant in 2015 is different than what IPA meant in 2010. We're seeing very rapid change around that, and I don't just mean you know hazy versus clear. I mean, even within these segments, we're seeing rapid, rapid change within West Coast IPA, within hazy IPA, um, consumer patterns around double IPA, the technology around producing hoppy beers is improving and uh, at a pace that we have never before seen in history. The products that are available, the formats that are available, the interaction with growers to optimize for flavors that brewers really want in IPAs, we have never seen it in the way that we have now. And so that is the kind of foundation, you know, for this panel right now. Let's get this, uh, you know, this conversation about IPA started, um, you know, with kind of a, a state of the union. Um, from your perspective, Sean, what does IPA mean now for cerebral brewing? How do you all think about IPA? How important is IPA to your brewery? And what lanes have you now, are you now channeling IPA into um, in your brewing plan? So we started making Hazy IPA when we opened in 2015. Uh, that was really the predominant amount of, like that was our, our main focus on IPA. I came from a homebrewing background and really wanted to push in that direction because there were not many at the time, any producers doing that in the state. Um, You know, I think with where we're at right now, it's quite the opposite. I think everybody has kind of leaned into that. And we've, uh, like many people, gone the opposite direction, really focusing on honing our technique in West Coast or taking the things that we learned from hops and adapting that into lager production um, or saison production that we can't uh, talk about, but I think we uh, we make I would say thirty percent of our annual production of about forty five hundred barrels is our core hazy IPA rare trait. Um, I don't know the exact numbers on the total production that we do of hazy IPA, but it's probably sixty percent easy uh, of what we do. But West Coast IPA is really gaining a lot of momentum. Uh, we've been producing a lot more of that. I would say, you know, we're, we're still probably under 10% in that. But I think in terms of State of the Union, things that we're seeing right now, uh, Jamie alluded to like a lot of what we're really focused on right now is achieving the best possible uh, quality that we can in the IPAs that we make. So there's so many products that is really tempting to kind of grab at everything, look at, you know, okay, this new product came out, let's use that, let's use this. Uh, you know, Phantasm was big a few years ago. Now there's a uh, Sub-Zero Hopkeef. Like, it can be a little bit of like ADHD where you're just looking around at new things. So it's taken a lot for us to find avenues to experiment with new products and new techniques while also taking the lessons learned there and adapting that into our core 
lineup and our core brands that that's ever evolving and ever growing in terms of quality um, and just flavor progression. Jake, uh, in terms of State of the Union, how do you all, how are you all approaching IPA? You brew hazy and clear. How have you found kind of flavor families that resonate with your audiences um, and connect in a way that uh, that make the beers that you want to make as Westbound and Down beers? At Westbound, State of the Union, I'd say this the state of IPA is strong. Um, we are. Um, we basically make IPA and lager. We have a seasonal porter and we have a pretty strong barrel aged beer program. Um, as well as this guy too. Uh, but you know, beers that aren't lager or IPA collectively only represent like 10% of what we do. And lager represents a quarter approximately of what we do. Um, and the rest is IPA. So we're making, you know, 55 to 65% IPA between hazy and West Coast styles. Um, our number one selling beer is our uh, hazy IPA juice caboose, um, followed very closely by Westbound IPA, which is our house West Coast IPA. Um, we're hopheads. I mean, even when we make lager, we dry hop the hell out of it. So, um, you know, we're very hop focused brewery. Um, but I'd say all that being said, um, I think, you know, Westbound's kind of carved out a niche of being uh, a very hop focused brewery and people, our customer base knows that about us. Even if we're going to make German lager, uh, German Pilsner, people are going to, you know, I think people expect us to over bitter it and consider dry hopping it, although we don't. Um, but I've thought about it. Um, so yeah, I think, um, you know, IPA is, is what Westbound does. And I think for the most part, it's still, um, the focus of a ton of craft beer drinkers. I was in an Uber on the ride over here, the very nice gentleman that, um, moved here from Oregon. He told me about his, he's a cricket player. He told me about his passion for McMiniman's hammerhead. He's like, why am I taking you to a brewery? I told him we were, you know, this was all going to happen. He's like, oh, I needed, you know, try your IPA. All he drank was IPA. This is completely unsolicited. He just saw I was going to Odell and then told me all this info. So, you know, anecdotal, but I do think just in general, people who connect with craft beer are still connecting with hoppy beer styles the most because it it feels like of things that are highly consumable, it's the opposite of macro beer. So I think um, that's how I fell in love with it. And I think uh, a lot of people who fall in love with craft beer will follow that trajectory. And I think that explains its dominance in the craft beer sector. Sure. Marnie Odell has this long history with Odell IPA that dates to the mid 2000s, a long award winning history and one to, that has garnered lots and lots of respect. What does IPA now mean for Odell in today's context? What, how, you know, how much does it figure into it? And, uh, you know, what does it now look like for Odell? We're still very IPA focused, and um, as far as, I mean, we here at our location alone, we are mostly brewing IPAs as far as that's what everyone wants, and also um, our with our packaged beer lineup as well, it's something that um, 
is one of our solid sellers is the elephant IPA, I'd say. Um, along elephant, you call it elephant We do, IPA. we do okay. call it elephant IPA. Um, and then we do have uh, a few other IPA offerings as well that are very strong behind it, but our, I would say our elephant is still very strong. People do like that clear, the, you know, the clear, ho the clear hoppy IPA. Um, and um, on, a, on another note, with, the, with hops, I think that like what Jake said, bringing the, that interesting, the flavors to people, and it is the polar opposite of domestic beers. And something that we do is we, we, um, we push the boundaries with bringing new hops out as well by sponsoring hops and like 638 and 586 are some of the hops that we have sponsored in the past to bring to everyone to brew with. So we do love hop development as well. Well, let's, let's come back to that because that's an interesting one. That's a, that's a whole nother level of hop love and focus. But tell me a little bit, you know, from here in the brew house at Sloan's Lake, you know, which is not the main production brew house up in Fort Collins, but is, is built to feed beers here in the Denver market you know, primarily for this tap room, you know, like how, what percentage of the beers that you brew out of this tap room here or, or this brew house here are IPA? Uh, I'd say easily 60% of the beers we brew are IPA. Our hazy is definitely our strong mover, but um, again, like Jake said, our West coast clear beers are also quickly they suddenly just turned on i would say in the past year we've seen a big uptick with that and it's been really fun to see because i love clear ipas so it's really exciting hell yeah <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back with more from the panel in a minute but first take your brewing to the next level with accubrew's revolutionary fermentation monitoring system now predicting specific gravity with accubrew you'll have precise control over the fermentation process and ensure consistent, high-quality results. Their cloud-based app and compact sensor work together to monitor specific gravity, fermentation activity, clarity, and temperature. AccuBrew is CIP-ready and designed to stay out of your way. Their set-it-and-forget-it solution streamlines systems and processes, confirms consistency, and helps detect problems before they ruin a batch. Join the AccuBrew community today and experience 24-7 peace of mind. Visit AccuBrew.io to learn more. Also, ProBrew is excited to announce that they are currently featuring short lead times between two and four weeks for their in-stock ProFill rotary can fillers. These can fillers run at speeds between 100 and 600 plus cans per minute while achieving precise and consistent filling volumes not achievable by most inline and mobile fillers. For more information, fill out their contact form on www.probrew.com or email contactus at probrew.com to learn exactly how they can take your operations to the next level. Probrew, brew your beer. Now, back to the panel. We're not going to take sides in the clear versus hazy. I think there are customers. I still love a good hazy. But I think there are customers <laughs> for both. And there Absolutely. are, there are uh, flavor cases for both. You know, and, you know, smart breweries are, are probably making both to, to make customers happy. You know, having said that, today's West Coast IPA, today's clear IPA has absolutely benefited from techniques that brewers have learned through brewing hazy beer um, and vice versa. 
you know, these things I think exist in a dialogue with each other. They don't exist in their own silos or separate from, from each other. Um, you know, what, Jake, talk to me about what you have learned, what you've taken from making hazy IPA that may have impacted some of the techniques that you now apply to West Coast IPA. Yeah, I think um, modern West Coast IPA um, exists uh, solely as a reaction um, and kind of from a, a place. It wouldn't exist without hazy IPA. I think a lot of the um, nuance with with playing with yeast, um, both thiol and other bio transformation kind of flavors, working with super fruit forward uh, hops and trying to express those flavors, um, and even as simple as just learning to dial back bitterness to express other hop characteristics at the forefront are things that no one thought of in 2014 or 2015. And I was certainly making a lot of hoppy beer then as well. Um, but a lot of the approach to it, um, even before I was making hazy IPA, uh, a lot of the thought process around kind of what has become this like wave three of West coast IPA, I'd say comes from um, things learned in, in hazy IPA production. I think, I mean, at the core of any of these, you know, whether you're making hop forward West Coast Pilsner or whether you're making, you know, any of these very hop forward beers, um, utilizing hops with yeast, mid fermentation, early fermentation, or in tertiary, uh, those translate between uh, beer styles. So I think, um, I mean, that is my passion is West Coast IPA. Uh, that being said, like literally to remind everybody when we go to hop selection, um, you have to have with YCH a passcode to get into all your results. And ours is to remind everybody why we're at hop selection. It's because we make a whole lot of hazy IPA also. So um, these things are intertwined and you learn a ton. I'm going to hack. I'm going to hack your account now that you've shared that information. Shit. I guess I shouldn't have said that. But no, we'll, we'll edit that out. All you could learn is which hops we selected this year. So not a lot to learn from hacking that, but please, please don't hack our thing. I got to get changed the password now. Do you guys select differently for your, like, do you select the same lot of Simcoe for everything or are you able to split it a little bit between East Coast and West Coast? Uh, great question. I uh, dream of getting big enough to do that, but in general, no. Um, we selected two lots of Citra this year for that reason. Other than that, no. And we're actually holding back some 22 Citra that we think is better as a hazy IPA Citra. Um, but no, I do know um, like buddies at Ghost Town and some places that are, you know, in this double lot selection, they'll even select two lots of stuff just to make different West Coast IPA and uh, very jealous of that production level. But we're in the mid 4,000 barrels. So even using, um, you know, six plus total pounds probably on average for beer still doesn't put us in selecting two Simcoe's. If you want more on that, I did a podcast episode with Justin uh, from ghost town. He does talk about using different selections of the same hops in order to add that contrast. You can start thinking about them as different hops in that regard. Sean, from from your perspective, making uh, you, you all make West coast IPA, but also focus on hazy IPA, maybe more, than West Coast IPA. How does that interplay between the two impact the way that you all construct beers? 
Yeah, I mean, I guess first of all, I agree with everything that Jake said before. Um, we're, uh, you know, again, we're predominantly hazy IPA focused, but our brewers get the most excited about when we get to design new West Coast IPAs. And we're trying our our best to really like every time we get new hops in, new lots in, we're big enough to be able to do selection. So, you know, we're selecting lots and really looking at it. Same thing across the board. There's some things that we are able to split out. We go with some smaller providers. Um, Hollingberry has let us like split out some things. We have been fortunate with that. But um, in general, I think we really look at both from the same viewpoint where I mean, we're just a trying, we're trying it more than anything to achieve hop saturation. And you have to just consider what your, your variables are. So in East Coast IPA, Hazy IPA, you're looking at higher final gravity. You're looking at driving a lot more sweetness, a lot more tropical fruit. You're trying to maybe balance in a little bit more of that like dank OG note so that it is not one dimensional. And then you're, you're doing almost the reverse of that when we craft a West Coast IPA. So we're looking at hops that play really well. And like, thank you for sponsoring 586, by the way. That's one of our favorite uh, West Coast IPA hops, but it works in both. And I think we, we try to find hops that play in both spaces where it can, yeah, it's it can give you that sulfur. It can give you like a little bit of that onion garlic that you want as a complimentary note. Um, you can look for, you know, passion fruit and all these things that you want, but you need to find balance. And then, you know, knowing that we're going to look for a much lower final gravity and a little bit crispier finish, um, different water chemistry, and just trying to blend those hops to like the final target, but still in both directions, looking for as much hop saturation as we can provide. We use a good amount of like flowable hop products uh, in both. And I think we're translating everything that we learn in East Coast IPA and trying to find ways to insert that into West Coast. It might be a slightly different application, um, but all in all, you know, same, same goal, as much hop saturation as we can provide in that beer. Which uh, flowables are you using right now and where? Uh, we use a lot of incognito and we do the, uh, the Kelsey at North Park method where we do the hop, hot knockout method. Uh, we do that both uh, on East Coast, IP, like hazy IPAs and West Coast IPAs. We do a little bit of spectrum in dry hop right now. We're experimenting with that to, with pretty good results for like a 11 to 22 pound hop um, dry hop replacement. And then uh, we just started playing around with the freestyle New Zealand, um, what is it, Sub-Zero Hopkeef. And I love that because it's cold side and liquid and flowable and helps with yield and everything so sweet i love that kelsey gets to take credit for that technique yeah i mean we heard it from seller maker first but then he popularized it with you so i, I don't did know i popularize to... it i think it was Vinny that may has been popularizing oh. kelsey is the the source of that so nonetheless you know marnie why don't you talk to us about your current ipa development strategy you know as you're making 60 percent of ipas here at the Odell Sun Lake, and also understanding that Odell like has a weight of history behind it, right? Like an expectation. Sure. Um, people, when they come for an Odell IPA, it has to be good because I mean, you know, it's Odell. It has to be a good IPA. You know, your Elephant IPA is one of the gold standards of IPA in the world today. And so, you know, how do you then you know take that and, and find creative space? 
to think about new iterations on IPA? What are those things that start driving your decision-making and creating new IPAs? Sure. Um, well, like Jake and Sean said about um, the hazy actually pushing those boundaries to the West Coast, I kind of feel like sometimes I'm on an island down here, you know, being away from the big brew house and um, knowing what's going on up there. And so I get to I get to play a lot, which is a lot of fun. Um, as far as flowables, don't use a lot of those, I, I have to say. We do use quite a bit of cryo down here, and, um, and then the T90s and some um, T70s as well. But um, <clears throat> I have, like personally, um, my West Coast uh, styles of IPA have been very influenced by brewing the hazy IPA, and that was a very organic... Um, process that kind of came about and um, and then being out and um, drinking some of IPAs around town some westbound cerebrals and others and seeing that the IPAs are you know especially the clear west coast are changing quite a bit from that and um, I also think not just just the hops that we're talking about I think also the malts have also changed a little bit because the Elfin IPA is a little bit more hoppy, I think, of an offering than some of the more modern IPAs, uh, West Coast IPAs that are coming out now. They're uh, definitely lighter malts. I've noticed that. Um, but yeah, that that's probably the biggest thing is, you know, just everything playing off each other and, um, you know, letting those hops and raw materials guide, you know, guide me and what I do back there. Yeah. Sure. Let's talk about that a, a little bit. Let's talk about, uh, you know, malt and building, like what you say is absolutely correct. Today's West coast IPA is more lean than it's ever been. Yeah. Um, and lean, I don't know that describes it entirely. Like it's pale, yeah, um, but it color. still has to have a body to it to support, you know, this heavy hop load, you know, so how, how do you start thinking of, you know, in terms of creating a beer, how you build body without building a lot of weight to it, but still have it hold up to these very, very heavy hop loads. I, uh, look at, well, let's see. I, the way I build body is I like to, I do like to use a little bit of wheat in there. Um, some, you know, and what's, what's a little bit, um, I would say maybe about, it's pretty small. It's like 5%. And I do rely on the base malt. I think, I think the base malt, I think also having some rest temperatures along the way, um, helps in building that malt character and keeping it really light. Yeah. Um, and to be able to show off the hops. And I think that's the beauty that, that Hazy has brought the West Coast IPA is like we, you can brew it lighter and you can still have that, um, you know, you have that light malt backbone where the hops can still shine and still use quite a bit. And I, I find that having, uh, having a few rests along the way during um, conversion really helps with you know, creating uh, a little bit more depth in there with the malts personally. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Jake, yeah. Jake, how do you do it? My answer is going to be kind of boring. I do love the wheat 
Um, we're usually five ten percent white wheat. Um, I don't think there's a wrong answer in choice of that. Uh, we use raw white wheat, but uh, we've used Brees and you know can't say that has any of the magic formula. But I think the biggest thing is uh, we try to make the driest beer possible. I mean, generally across the board. So um, we are you know mashing it at 148 to 150 on west coast ipa no mash out rest um you know i some old school american brewers used to say you know you mash in you go smoke a cigarette and then you start runoff i I don't smoke cigarettes so i don't do that but i am impatient and we basically mash in at 148 to 150 wait 15 minutes if i'm feeling extra patient that day and then start vertical off and running off um, no mash out rest. We're still converting the whole time. Um, and when we make, you know, 15 Play-Doh West Coast IPA, we want those beers to finish. Like we, we think we have screwed up if they finish above two Play-Doh. Um, and, you know, one four to one six is target. One eight is acceptable. Um, so, I mean, these are excessively dry beers. And then I think, you know, tying back into learning from, from Hazy IPA, Making beers that had a first word addition and then all Whirlpool was unthinkable in 2015 and now is basically all of our West Coast IPA additions is 20 to 35 IBUs from a first word or 90 minute addition um, and then a massive Whirlpool charge, two to three pounds per barrel. Um, and that's the beer. So um, we're Pilsner malt people. Um, you know, I, I think... Uh, I've talked with Jamie about this before. I think picking malts that, that lower fan content is something that, um, you know, as as you're building recipes and starting a business is something, you know, especially if you're a package brewery, is something you should be focused on. If you're not, um, you know, which I wasn't for a very long time, you can get away with murder. Um, you know, if you're selling your beer in 38 days over the bar, all cold stored in kegs, which you should do in your business plan regardless on the cold storage part. Don't worry about anything I just said about free amino nitrogen. But if you're planning on putting those beers in package, I think that's a huge part of what we focus on is how do these beers taste great for more than a minute. And uh, especially if you're going to put that excessive amount of hops in it is, you know, somebody going to bring home a four pack. Maybe they don't drink as much as I do. And then it takes them a month to drink. I don't know who these people are, but apparently they exist. Um, you, you got to think about these things is how, how, how great can this beer be in 60 days or 70 days? So those are the things we consider. Um, and I think, you know, in West coast IPA or hazy IPA playing with bitterness and finishing gravity is, is a key to, you know, kind of the voice you want to create with the beer you make. Um, so, you know, for us, that's lean on the IBUs and very dry on the West coast um, and even on the hazies, like we might add a little more IBUs than some, uh, but we're biofining those beers and we're very low. We were talking before, we're very low on the, the kind of hot burn character. I'm, I'm not a fan of, uh, in hazy IPA. Like that's not our kind of voice and direction as a company in that, in that beer style. Um, so I think just finding that balance between dryness and hop expression, and bitterness is kind of the interplay of where we're thinking about those things. How dry are your hazies? Not dry. Okay. Like three, six to four. Okay. Just curious. 
Sure. And if you want to learn more from Jake on the subject of free amino nitrogen and longevity and packaging, <laughs> um, we've got a great class again from one of our all access video classes where he goes into great depth around that. And so, um, definitely learn more about there, but that, you know, but this is an interesting question. I mean, I think we've all noticed, you know, that, uh, we have, you know, in this day and age, eliminating those things like, you know, caramel and crystal malts from IPA. It, it just seems like something we do now. IPA is very pale that there's an expectation, but those also seem to hold on to hop flavor longer. Um, Sean, you know, from your perspective in brewing hazy IPA, how have you adjusted grists in order to hold on to and amplify, you know, those bright, expressive, fruity hop characters, even in the hazy space? Yeah, I think um, we've we've gone about it a number of different ways since we started about eight years ago. So we, when we craft hazy IPAs, we have actually taken some of the things we've learned from West Coast and brought it back to hazy. So we are a predominantly Pilsner malt brewery. We use that in West Coast IPA. We use that in hazy IPA. I will admit part of that is just simplicity of using, you know, the same base malt. We've gone back and forth. We didn't notice... Uh, enough of a difference to, to really need to keep splitting orders. So we like the quality that we, we get with our Pilsner malt. Um, that's usually around 70% of the grist. And then we layer in um, enough body where we're layering in oats in the form of flaked oats, golden naked oats, and occasionally malted oats. And using a lot of that along with a good proportion of white wheat and trying to make sure that we're not overpowering the hops. So you're trying to really, you know, I think there was a moment in Hazy IPA where the sweetness was really, really driving. And I think that is what led to a big resurgence in West Coast IPA is that some of these Hazy IPAs were getting so sweet and so like thick from a mouthfeel perspective that, you know, it, it, it you could not have more than one of those. So I think luckily we stayed pretty true to like the down the middle Hazy IPA, we finish about four, like three and a half to four Play-Doh, so a pretty, pretty similar uh, final gravity to what Jake was talking about. But really, you don't want to build in enough malt flavor and sweetness that you're you're competing with hops. But I I think that happens quite a bit in the style. So that's a lot of what we focus on is really trying to drive clean malt flavor where it is present, where you notice it, but it doesn't get in the way, and then you're able to take that. Um, hop charge that you're doing, you know, it's it's similar. We we do a lot of IPAs now that honestly don't have any hop additions until we're doing Whirlpool hops, and even then that number is diminishing as we're loading in a little bit more incognito, um, doing some things cold side to drive more bitterness. So trying to just play with that space, but um, while keeping that that bitterness in both styles really in check. You want that bitterness to be approachable, but not offensive. You want to layer in the bitterness that you are anticipating to get, whether it's, uh, we're not measuring IBUs uh, very often. We do it from a lab perspective every once in a while to make sure our system's in check. Um, but we're, we're not really measuring that. We're looking at like, I guess, how we perceive that bitterness. So um, making sure that that's in check for both West Coast IPA, obviously a higher threshold there, and then East Coast IPA, bitter enough where you're not just driving sweet on sweet, where I think a lot of those the new hops that we're using in these can can push you in that direction. It can push you in just lychee and passion fruit and tangerine and all these sweet, sweet, sweet things, and you need something to counter that. So I think that's where we're focused. 
We'll keep the conversation going in a minute, but first, oh, you like wildly aromatic IPAs and tropical lagers? Good thing Omega designed thialized yeast for just that reason. Thialized yeast are a new tool for brewers to bring intense guava and passion fruit aromas out of your malt and hops. And wait, there's more. Omega yeast makes yeast to order with a consistent one-week lead time, ensuring peak freshness and reliability. Also, who doesn't love free samples? The Perfect Puree is offering a free sample box of their frozen fruit purees, concentrates, and blends to professional brewers. Picked at the peak of ripeness, their fruit is pureed and frozen for optimal fresh flavor and color. Explore classics from red raspberry and blood orange to unique fruit juice blends such as Yuzu Luxe Sour. Choose from 40-plus flavors and build a free sample box at perfectpuree.com slash beer. That's perfectpuree, P-U-R-E-E dot com forward slash beer. Complimentary to professionals only. And this episode is sponsored by Yakima Chief Hops. Yakima Chief Hops launched Varieties Supply Company, their own brand of hop apparel inspired by hop varieties, art, and community. Shop designs from various artists inspired by your favorite varieties, including Citra, Simcoe, Sabro, and the Mosaic Collection that just dropped. With sustainability in mind, Varieties strives to provide socially and environmentally conscious merchandising featuring artwork by a diverse group of illustrators. Shop Varieties and use promo code CBB20 for 20% off at Varieties. That's V-A-R-I-E t-e-e-s dot com now back to the panel is hazy ipa today getting more bitter you know in that regard or you know or you know are the and and how how are consumers perceiving that you know is that a is a real thing in in my opinion i feel like it's honestly leveling out now when it started i i can still remember some of those trillium uh 22 ounce bombers and they were bitter. They were very bitter. And I think when it trans, when it moved across the country, it kind of happened in waves. And I, I don't, I'm sure it's not the same as, you know, us drinking European beer. That's, that's obviously not super fresh, but it's funny how people interpret like, okay, this, this eight week old can of, of Treehouse or Trillium is what it's like in New England. It's not. So it, I don't know if that's what led to it, but as it swept across the country, I feel like residual gravities crept up and sweetness just kept pushing and pushing and body kept going up and up. And I think they're just, it hit a critical mass where we couldn't sustain that anymore. And it wasn't, you know, really engaging to customers. It wasn't allowing people to like really want to go back for that second, third pour, which is what you should strive for, especially in the taproom model. You want to create a beer you can finish the pint of or the 10 ounce pour of, and then you want to go back to either that beer or a similar beer. You don't want to push people like, okay, I had my beer here. I'm going to leave. It's not going to do well for your bottom line. Um, so I think over the past few years, I feel like it's leveled off. I think, you know, you have a lot of people that are entering the space that are doing this at a really high level and that bitterness is balanced and approachable. And there's some makers that are, you know, going to be super high and super low, but in general, I think it's pretty static. Right sure. Now. Just to jump in and say one thing, I think one thing, that he's uh, Sean is talking about that I think is a truism about American craft beer more broadly is that I think an American craft beer, at least, you know, from my experience um, in the last, you know, 15 years of being involved as a drinker and 12 or 11 or something like that professionally um, 
I think American craft beer often is a caricature of the real thing. Like we didn't have a real thing to start with. Like the Europeans had long histories of beer styles they had invented that had been there that were like, you know, how your grandmother made tomato soup or something like her mom made it. And then she made you know, they're just the exact same. And they have that we didn't. So everything was like an interpretation. And then I think the human brain just can only have but so many bullet points to define what something is. And then it's kind of like a game of telephone, which is kind of what you're describing as it moved across the country. So it's like, it was less bitter. I think potentially even that bomber of trillion beer than the other IPA equivalent. And then people kept imitating that. And then people were drinking the imitation and not the Trillium Bomber in this example. And then at some point, it just became a not bitter beer. It was like cool pool only at 180 degrees. Whatever IBUs that is, that's the beer. Um, and I think, you know, West Coast IPA has kind of done the same. It's like, you know, you saw this whole trajectory of, you know, restrained bitterness made it modern. And now you're kind of seeing this resurgence of people bringing back some real IBUs to the beer style. Um, it seems to be some kind of like group think or um, I don't know how to describe it, but it does happen in waves like that in craft beer. And it's something to just be aware of, of like, you know, I think one thing at Westbound, we always talk about is like having our own voice in, in whatever to try to cut through the noise of realizing we're subject to moving beer trends that are moving really quick and other people are imitating the imitation. So these things like just swing all around. Um, and it's something we think about a lot of like, are, are we changing because we believe in this? Or are we changing this because this is other people are changing and it's what's around us and two, you know, both can be true at once, but it's um, just something to consider as you're opening a brewery or making beer is that um, I think American craft beer just, moves very quickly in pendulums because there's a lot of copies of copies that that play a game of telephone almost like you know with your kindergartner or whatever uh trends are something that we're all i think it's it's probably one of the most common questions you all have or at least i would have as, as someone coming in to try to establish a brewery um but it's something that you have to be wary of where it's like we need to look in that direction but not just use that as your north star so i think like we aligned 100 with what jake said about having a voice and a vision and something that we strive for as a brand and then trying to stay true to that, whether that is aligned or not aligned with where things are going at the moment. As we're talking about bitterness, like all bitterness is not the same, right? Our ability to convey bitterness in beers um, has developed. You know, Marnie, how, how does Odell approach the idea of bitterness, not just in terms of numerical values, but also in the way that human beings actually perceive that bitterness because there is bitterness that feels cohesive and pleasant and there's bitterness that feels rough and ragged, you know, and today bitterness needs to feel smooth no matter what, however it, no, no matter what the intensity level is of it, you know, how, how do you all approach that from an adult perspective? Um, we look at it with, uh, you know, the d different hops offer a different kind of bitterness. And there's just hops that we prefer, you know, if we're going to put any hops in a boil, we would, you know, maybe not prefer to use something like a Chinook in, in the boil. Or, you know, I've, I've found recently that I kind of do like a little bit of Amarillo in the boil. I think it imparts a little bit of herbal 
quality, maybe not necessarily for an IPA. It might be something like a Saison or something, but um, <laughs> uh, just a Damn little it. bit. Everyone's trying to talk about Saison. <laughs> We're supposed to talk about IPA here. Come on. I promise you but, I won't talk about Saison. <laughs> But it's it is something, and there there is a different qualities of bitterness. And um, uh, whenever I have a new hop, you, you know, recently I've I used some six I used a little bit of six thirty eight recently in on hot side just to see. And you know the the bitterness is all right, but it you know it doesn't really fulfill what I'm looking for in a bitterness. You know, it it kind of. It kind of rides a higher note of bitterness, maybe a little bit aggressive. And so, um, you know, maybe for instance, like Simcoe has a little uh, nice bitterness and that can offer hot side. But, you know, things you, just like that, there there are different um, types of bitterness and things, you know, might impart with, with the hops. You know, it's not just bitter. You're going to get some other flavors from the hops. Sure, Jake. How do you uh, how do you all approach bitterness and quality of bitterness these days? Um, yeah, the Germans have a term called fine bitterness. Is it? Um, and talking with uh, good friends at at Beershot Lagerhouse um, who do not make any IPA, um, but they will tell you that that is a confusing term, uh, mainly because it is totally subjective. Like what when bitterness feels. Um, enjoyable and palatable is hard to describe, but it's something when you drink a lot of beer, which I think everyone on this panel seems to do. I, I certainly do. Um, you, you can drink beers and you, you make a lot of different beers with a lot of different um, bittering hops. Um, Simcoe is the go-to at Westbound. I think it's, if I were to give any advice on making West Coast IPA, I would just say, you know, Simcoe, Simcoe, Simcoe play around in the whirlpool and then dry hop the hell out of it. And you're probably halfway to pretty decent IPA. Um, but, um, you know, there's a ton of theory and, uh, on, on why Simcoe works. Um, you're looking for these low cohumulone levels. Um, so, you know, we actually, what do you mean had, by that, Jake? What I mean by that is hydrocarbon fraction of hop oils. Um, will be like the woody, um, earthy kind of characters of hops. And so like, for example, Centennial is a hop that we do not like to use hot side at Westbound. And I'm not saying it can't be sprinkled in if you're trying to end a contract or something, but, uh, <laughs> we describe it as pencil shavings and you can pick <laughs> it up in, um, and I say that from experience of picking some Centennial and trying to end a contract. Like how much of this can we use to get rid of it without it impacting our flavor of our beer? But we get this like literally visceral memory of childhood where, you know, um, I'm sure no kids now will have this experience because they're on, you know, computers, but the pencil sharpener and the aroma that was came off of that is like a centennial hot side hop thing. And it's a high hydrocarbon fraction um, hops immersing amongst other things you can look up but anyway it gives that woodsy character and it it also at a high level is harsh you know at a low level you're saying pencil shavings if you're bittering your beer throughout with that we get that kind of like harsh grippy like does my am i sick kind of throat character yeah. replace all that with simcoe and all of a sudden you're just like it almost has like a salt uh quality where like the bitterness just the response to it is 
I need more liquid. Uh, and that's, that's, you know, rolling this to make money. Like that's the response you want. Not like, am I sick while drinking beer? That's horrible. Or do, you know, this causes me to want to drink more beer. That is, that's something we should, you know, harness because that's, you can write a business plan around that. So, um, combine all those, um, not saying Simcoe is the only one, but, um, it is the, the secret sauce, uh, in both styles of IPA for us on the hot side. Sure. Sean, so for many years now, you all have made really compelling IPAs. You just, this past season, started selecting hops. So for, for many years of Cerebral, you were able to make compelling hoppy beers without selecting hops. Talk, talk to, like, for all these breweries and planning that are listening right now, you know, how, what were some of the strategies that you used to maximize the quality of the hoppy beers that you made, knowing that you didn't necessarily have that tool of selection in your toolbox? Uh, I guess one point of clarification I was misleading when I was talking to you before. We have selected in previous years. This is our first year going to oh, hop selection. going to hop Be- selection. Okay. So the first year that we were, thank you, looking out. Um, the first year we were able to select truly based on quantities for a lot of our contracts was 2020. So that year we didn't make it out, obviously. The next year we didn't make it out. Last year our head brewer had a baby and I didn't want to go by myself. And it was just not a good staffing year with turning on the new system. So we we did remote selection for the past three years. So I'd say even before that, I can still offer, I guess, some advice from what we've done before that. Um, it has benefited us tremendously. So again, our barrelage right now is 4,500 barrels a year. We are not a large brewery by any means, especially in the state. Um, before that, I think before COVID, we were around 2000 barrels. That's where we were for most of the space. We got up to 3000 before we turned on our new space. Um, there's a lot of things you can do if you are strategic with your contracts and your relationships. And I think it, it really, uh, it works in your favor to consider how big you want to be and make relationships associated with that. So we knew that we were looking to cap out at around the 6,000 barrel mark. And that's assuming, you know, maybe we open another space. Maybe we just do a little bit more wholesale. I don't want to get into the regional um, brewery size. I just don't, I don't feel like that's true to our core identity. So we made relationships with hop providers and hop brokers that were smaller. So Hollingberry is uh, the, where most of our hops are sourced from. We source strata from Indie Hops. Uh, we have a little bit of contracts through YCH and BSG, and we spread it around so that we have relationships when we need them. And we, you know, so it's also hard. Some hop brokers have proprietary hops that you can't get from other ones. Um, knowing that we were in that space, you know, Hollingberry and Indy in particular were really great with us with sending out remote selections for those years. Or we could all, I mean, before that, we also reached out to friends and said, hey, you know, we're not big enough to select you guys are selecting. I trust your palate on this. Like, can I just, we just did that with ghost town this year. Uh, we don't select Simcoe. We're not big enough to, we're not doing enough Simcoe. Um, so I, I texted Justin at ghost town. I was like, Hey, can we just, can we bounce off your contract? I trust your Simcoe selection. And he was cool with it. So we did it. Um, it's, it's about playing relationships and looking at like what your, you know, what your goals are, and, and again, honestly, just, just trying to form relationships around that. And it's helped us 
a lot over the past uh, eight years. The first two years, I think, was Lupulin Exchange over-contracting with bad hot brokers that are no longer in business. Uh, and then we learned all those lessons, and we've been much better off since then. Can, can I comment oh, on yeah, that? Oh, yeah, you comment on that, Jay. I would piggyback on that and say from uh, if I was – starting westbound and down over again. So I did a couple things in hindsight that were smart and a couple really dumb things. A, just um, if you're dedicated to make, you know, obviously there's people here that are just like, oh yeah, I got a meal, have to be here. We're not going to be an IPA focused brewery. Um, If so, ignore everything I'm getting ready to say. Um, But if you are, um, I learned in the last three years that a lot of the smaller Pacific Northwest breweries are just kind of showing up in Yakima at hop selection and kind of forcing their way into selection. Didn't know that was a thing. I, um, the smart thing I did was, um, had very good friends at Coors and Oscar blues that had some unbelievable hop contracts. Um, and were rooting for me and Westbound and down. And that saved us 2015, you know, it was the opposite of right now where people are like pulling Citra out of the ground because there's too much of it. It was like Citra was like $34 a pound. And, you know, if you were starting a brewery, they're like, we'll give you a Cascade. And if you buy enough of it, we might give you a Chinook. And you're like, man, we are <laughs> fucked. Like, sorry for the language, but that is literally the thought process of like, I'm trying to open a hop focused brewery and I've got two hops that were important in 2005 to open with. And then those relationships really, you know, saved us. We were getting amazing Amarillo, Galaxy, Citra, Simcoe, Mosaic from these sources. But what I didn't know is, like I said, that there are a lot of these smaller producers. Like at this point, honestly, BSG will let you select. Um, I'm pointing because Ben's in the back and I think they're a sponsor. And I didn't use this and they didn't offer it when I was this small. Uh, but you can just like go select a couple hundred pounds with them. And between that and just taking spot market hops, do it. Like learn what your ingredients are. Find out who the farmers are. If you can send beer to the actual farmers, not the pelletizers and make relationships with these people. Um, Like if you're going to make a hop focused brewery, this is the main show. So understanding it top to bottom, understanding the people that make it, getting any insight on better lots, you know, any insight on, you know, how the hops you select in this season are producing and whether you should be, you know, telling people at selection, hey, I want to be like early mid-harvest. I want to be just strictly early harvest. I want to be late harvest. These are all things you can learn by having friends at the farms, having friends, you know, throughout the process. So I think, um, invest a ton of time in those relationships, both with other brewers like Sean talked about and with, with the farmers. Um, you know, and then if you can't do any of those things, look for small producers, um, Hophead Farms, not a sponsor to my knowledge, but they're an example of a very small group out of Michigan. They grow some Michigan-grown hops. Not here to necessarily promote those because you know, other than their Michigan-grown saws, we don't use a ton of them. But if you're too small to select, they select their Mosaic, Citra, and Simcoe blend. Full disclosure, we use none of those products. But in a pinch, we have. And 
if you don't get to select people like that who are making their own hot blend is the next closest thing you can do and is certainly a better choice than just taking whatever's available on the spot market on Lupulin or wherever else. Um, if you do, you're kind of subject to whatever you get. And the other version is you get to go out and find what you need to make the beer you have a vision for. And if I could do it again, that's what I would change is didn't have that foresight to think that through. For sure. I've loved that. I've had conversations with the brewers like, you know, we, we did a collab with so-and-so, you know, and I loved their selection of this hop. And so I got the lot number and then I reached out to my hop broker and I was like, can I get some of this lot of that? And, you know, if they have more, like, there you go. All of a sudden you haven't selected yourself, but you've connected with a lot that you definitely have a positive reaction to and want to use in that. And so, you know, there are ways to kind of triangulate around some of those limitations, you know, of selection. Totally. Sure. Sure. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about hop products. You know, I, as I said at the top, we are in an unprecedented period where technology around hops is progressing at a rate that we've never, never seen in history before. Um, what are some of the more advanced hop products that get you excited? What are some, you know, that uh, you have tried that, you know, maybe, you know, don't reach the excitement level? And, uh, you know, are there techniques then in using hops that you have found, um, you know, that can equate to some of these hop products? Anyway, let's, let's talk about this kind of advanced approach to hop products. Why don't you start, Marnie? Well, I have not used a lot of the flowables. I do really like the cryo hops. I think that they add a lot of value, especially for the cold side and being able to get your yields and um, volume that you'd like with the finished product. And also being able to use a little bit, because you are using a little bit less, but getting more from it. Sitting on this panel tonight, I would like to check out some of the incognito and um, spectrum that uh, Sean has talked about, definitely. But I feel like um, what we've done uh, here with dry hopping and getting our with getting our yields, we do like using the the cryo hops and uh, prefer using the more of the T90s on hot side or I would say mostly in the whirlpool. That's where most of the hops go. And, um, and then uh, hitting it with cryo on cold side. Um, some T90s go in there as well. But there are so many. Also, they're getting the, the fresh frozen as well. Used a little bit of that. Um, fresh frozen? You have cans of that right here, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those are actually Roy Farms. They do the Harvest Fresh pellets, so they those weren't the fresh frozen. Oh, okay. Yeah, they um, essentially harvest the hops, and from there go to the curing. Uh, once they're kilned and at on the curing floor, and from the, they don't go into bales in general at Roy Farms. They go directly to pellets, so it's a little bit different than most of the hop growers out in Yakima and um and organ as well and so that's kind of the uh the name behind that is their harvest fresh pellets so yeah the fresh frozen is actually a fro um um 
fresh hops that have been frozen. And were you talking about that for, but you're, it's flowable, the Austral from New the Zealand. The, I don't, the I don't know that they've actually released what that proprietary thing is. Oh, the Sub-Zero Hop You can't so talk that, about yeah, it. Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't, I can't talk. I don't know what it is, but it's okay. not, it's definitely not a fresh hop product. Okay. Yeah, so those and there are uh, frozen frozen fresh hop available through YCH. Uh, it's a seven seven zero two number that you can get on some specific hops to give kind of like that, like a wet hop fresh hop IPA. Sure, Jake. When it comes to advanced hop products, uh, where are you at? So, I think this ties into maybe a couple things. Um, if I were opening a brewery, I would think about. I know that came up in the last panel. Um, Westbound and Down or myself in general have been involved on a couple panels with cryo products from YCH and then again with CGX which is effectively the same product from Crosby Hops out of Oregon um, and you know the, the most recent one with CGX it was us and Breakside and um, you know when we use hot products we use them to push the limits um, everybody that uses you know, that markets hot products will tell you about yields and savings and these things. And um, this may speak to more of character flaws in myself than anything to do with those hot products, but we just see those as chances to make absurd hop, hoppy beers. Um, Your CFO must love you. Luckily, I'm also the CFO, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no oversight on that. Um, but uh, we... Uh, so like that's how we approach most hot products. Like we we have beers we make. I think if you're designing new beers, you can design them around these new products, but the substitutions that are advertised, I don't think really play out. You know, they'll try to say cryos two to one. Sure. I mean, if you're making a new beer, you can factor that in as a jumping off point. But I think if you were to take a core beer, your you know, hypothetical brand that already exists makes and try to implement cryo two to one for the hop, you will not be making the same beer. Um, we use the equation of one and a half to one, I think is more honest, but even with that, it's not, it, they really aren't substitutes, it's just a different weapon in your um, kind of arsenal. That being said, I think, you know, like there's, if you're developing a new business plan, um, and we've talked about how important IPA is to craft beer, um, there is a strategy in potentially avoiding it because these are like I can say uh, across our bar, they're not the most profitable beers we make per ounce. Um, they're the most volume, uh, which there's a different business strategy around volume. But if you were to say how you make the most beer, well, craft beer and IPA push the price boundary. And then there's a lot of other beer styles that get to follow closely behind that because of that boundary pushing. And those beer styles for us at least, tend to not by volume and not by dollars made per year, but per ounce are more profitable. So Westbound and Downs history is not a good one to show how hot product can make you more money. They're actually just a way we light money on fire to have tons of fun. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that being said, there's a business strategy in that too, which is that, you know, I think our customer base is along for the ride on that. And they're like, yeah, these guys make great hoppy beer all the time and when they make one-off beer like we're going to be on that journey with them um so that's kind of our approach to these hot products um 
which is, like I said, um, the guys at Crosby thought it was hilarious because Breakside did all these analogies of, you know, Ben is a good buddy, all this studies on yields and things that their sales team wanted. And I was like, yeah, we ignored all that and just put a ton of it in there. And we love this beer. Um, and we, you know, barely made money doing it, but we had a blast. And that was kind of our takeaway. Rock and roll, rock and roll. Well, we've been talking <laughs> a long time up here. Does anyone have questions out there? The question is, what is the next trend in IPA? Saison. I just said, I'm just kidding. It's not, that's not true at all. That's Damn not it, true Sean. Damn it, Sean. Um, no, I, I don't know. I think, I guess, to circle back to what we were talking a little bit before, I, I guess a two-minded approach. Part of me does not think about it because I think if you're thinking through to the next trend, that's your focus. And you need, in my opinion, you should be focused on what you're currently making, how you can make it like, I don't know. I think if you can make a hazy IPA or a West Coast IPA and make the best example of that style, you will do better than any of your competitors. If you're thinking about what's next, you're skipping a lot of steps and there's a lot of pitfalls to that. And I think there's a lot of risk. You could hit on something. You could hit that jackpot. I don't know what that is. I know if I go to the other side, I think where we're headed at least is uh, a lot of the things that we're learning from IPA, both East Coast, West Coast, we're trans, uh, translating that to lager production and doing the same thing Jake was talking about where we make lager and we put far too many hot products in that. Um, but I think that's, it's kind of that movement of the West, the new movement of the West Coast IPA where we're really looking for that super crisp expression with as much hop flavor as you can possibly impart into a glass. And that's what we're really trying to do. Um, so that's where we're focused. And at the same time, also really like we're, we're pretty new to West Coast IPA, honestly, like 18 months in on trying to really work on that. So that's a big focus for us right now. Not really thinking about what's beyond that, but just trying to get that as dialed in as we're, as we're able to. Do either of you have some thoughts on that? I kind of just look at it interplaying everything that we do here. We're, we're selling over the bar. We don't, I don't have to worry about packaging like these, these two here do. And, um, so I don't have to worry about fan and stuff like that. Um, I, I like to kind of enjoy the ride with our guests that come in and see what's kind of, kind of vibing with them and what's what you know what they're drinking what what i'm excited about and i think that works really well it's kind of this unspoken interplay that you get to have this journey that we're on all on together and um and everything's changing all the time you know um being able to to be brewing and selling over the bar um, changing things on the fly like that is pretty great. And, and it, that's kind of the way I do it here. So, uh, two different answers to that. Um, one, I think riffing off what Sean said, I think business aside, you know, find out the beers you want to make and, and it's hard until you do it for a long time. I had the privilege of, you know, making beer for, uh, six or seven years before Westbound opened professionally. Um, 
but finding out the like the voice and the vision and like the beer in your head you want to put out there that you want to drink and make that um and i think the trends you know will come to you with that that beer or the fan base will because i think authenticity to what what you want to do is you know what makes this unique right like this was just all business, just, you know, sell commercial real estate or package toothpaste or it doesn't really matter, right? Like we're all in this room because like it's more fun than doing the other bullshit. So do that first, because if not, there's a lot of easier ways to make money than being at this seminar or making beer. That first. Um, but then two, if I were to say if there's a trend, I think there has been a huge trend which macro beer figured out a long time ago and then we all fought against it and now it's coming back to and everything i do in west coast ipa seems to follow that which is drinkable beer made with pilsner malt in some cases our west coast ipa is also made with lager yeast some cases not but even then it's fermented cold and when you go through the process it's basically like how can we jam all these hop characters we're obsessed with into a beer that ultimately drinks as easy as light lager or pilsner pilsner probably being the better vehicle for this metaphor so i do think there is this trend which had already been figured out and craft beer pushed against the people just want to drink beer like everyone got into drinking beer because they enjoyed the feeling they had drinking beer so you need to be able to drink a handful of them so i do think there is this overarching trend back towards drinkability regardless of beer style and i think you know that is why West Coast IPA is having its moment. This, you know, I called it wave three, new West Coast, I think is a craft beer and brewing term. But regardless of any of this, I just think we're moving back towards beers that are just really consumable. And then they have this huge hop characteristic, which makes them different from, you know, macro lager. But otherwise, we're talking about like, how, how can you drink four? You know, how can you drink three or what, whatever you deem responsible or not, or however you figure that out. But that I think is the trend that I see is just how do you make beer fun and consumable again while having these other attributes that make them unique and have your own voice and make people connect with a brand um, while they're paying money for it. So I think if you combine all those things, that's, you know, our goal at Westbound. How, how do you make beer fun consumable and then also weave in our voice if you can knock all three of those out of the park you hit a grand slam building flavorful beer that you can also drink in quantity that is the gold standard right that's what we all want to do here in this business um unfortunately we don't have more time to talk even deeper about this but thank you sean jake marnie for your thoughts on brewing ipa it's been wonderful to talk to you all about this now. There it is, our discussion on IPA from the recent Brewery Accelerator in Denver, Colorado. That was just the one of dozen panel discussions and informational sessions that make up the Accelerator along with working group sessions, technical tours, lightning pitches, and much more. If you're contemplating opening a brewery, visit breweryworkshop.com for information about the 2023 Accelerator in Austin, Texas. And with that, we bring this episode to a close. GD Chillers has set the standard on quality, service, and reliability with 24-7 service and support. BSG is North America's exclusive distributor of Vireman Specialty Malts. Try Old Orchard's flavored craft juice concentrate blends in your next craft beverage. AccuBrew helps you detect problems before they ruin a batch. 
ProBrew has rotary can fillers in stock with a two to four week lead time. Omega stylized yeasts bring intense guava and passion fruit aromas out of your malt and hops. If you're a pro brewer, request your free samples today from the perfect puree and varieties supply from Yakima Chief Hops has the dankest hop t-shirts, hats, socks, pins, and more. Of course, if you've enjoyed this episode and any others, go to barrenbrewing.com, click on that subscribe button and become a subscriber to one or both of our magazines and more. Um, we appreciate your support and that's what helps us bring you this podcast every week. We'll be back next week for another in-depth brewing conversation. Until then, cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those who love to make and drink great beer. To learn more or to subscribe, visit beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew.